No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod, where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe. I'm here with Wayne. Wayne, have you been coping in the two weeks since United last played? It's been all right, actually. Why did you have to remind me of that? <laughs> I didn't remind you of what the last game was. It was just you know, we haven't played for a while. The last two weeks yeah. in isolation, taking any football out of it, have been great because Manchester's been in the sun, as you can tell from yeah. my rosy complexion. Without, I can. without hair, now I get the sun on my head, which is really good. I hope you're um, putting some sunscreen on that. We oh, don't of want course, you head of, cancer. Oh, yeah, of course, I'm getting all of the the required creams necessary. That's why I'm a picture of health, and why uh-huh. I'm feeling so good. And which I was until you mentioned that United last played a football game a couple of weeks ago, and we we happened to lose it. And yeah, I mean, bloody hell, it. I mean, well, I, well, well, look, the good news is they say after a loss, you want to get back back on the horse. It's it's only a month until United play again. Yeah, I'm going to say, that was last season. That was ages ago. That um, It's gone, done. Yeah, yeah. Not thinking about it. Yeah. You know, it's, is it Oslo or Edinburgh? I can't remember which one's the first one now. One of them. Yeah, I'm not sure. I should know that, but I don't. I'm actually going to be back in the UK then. I was I was thinking about I was thinking about going. I might, I might do it. I know Dan is. So <laughs> I was just trying to work out the dates and logistics. But if it works out, yeah. I might just catch a flight up and go. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because I, I know that, as is always the case with United on their preseason, that there'll be some games where they don't send the first team and some games where they will be sending junior sides and everything like that. It's true. So it'll be interesting well, they have already see. said that it'll be the reserves against Wrexham in San Diego. Okay. On the 25th, I think that is. Yeah, well, so, all right. I mean, that's So all those people pay $500 for a ticket to see that game. Hmm. Let's Enjoy. see a look. The more competitive game, although having said that, Wrexham are on a high, they could probably give United's first team a game. I'm, I'm not bagging on United's first team, by the way. But yeah, at least it'll be a competitive game. You would have thought for, the, for those Wrexham fans, because there'll be plenty there in San Diego to to witness that one. Well, so, Or, or the, the nouveau Wrexham fans who've seen Welcome to Wrexham, which is kind of, bless them, it's, it's entertaining, isn't it? So Yeah, well, you know, We've got a historic rivalry, haven't we, with Wrexham? I mean, I remember beating them 5-2 in the Cup in early 95. Those days after Cantona's kick. And then, obviously, who can forget the Cup Winners' Cup epic two-legger that oh, we had against them on the way to massive. glory? Yeah, with Mark I Hughes almost did and... forget until you reminded me, actually. So, yeah, we've got oh, an we, we... epic rivalry. Do we have some shared players? Mickey Thomas? Mickey Thomas definitely played for both. Thomas yep. was... He was responsible famously for knocking Arsenal out of the FA Cup in one of those goals that always gets showed. Um, Yeah, one of the very popular character United, by the way. Yeah. Really nice guy. And yeah, there's probably some other shared players. I I wasn't preparing to do a Wrexham 
and United deep dive. So, yeah, in, in this podcast. But next time, I'll, I'll be sure to make sure I've got my notes ready for I, that one. I, I expect you and Patrick Barkley to do a special before that game, a two-hour live pod. History, yeah. shared history of United and Wrexham. Yeah. I, I could stretch it out to two hours. Trust me on that one. I could definitely I mean, make I it have, work. I have no doubt at all. A six-hour epic. Yeah, five hours of that wouldn't be on Wrexham and United, but I would make it stretch to six hours for sure. <laughs> we were going to talk about transfers and what's going in the market generally. I, I feel like the last few pods I've done, I mean, just because of the nature of what's going on, they feel like doom and gloom and negativity because I, I had the, the pod with the client Earth and Ineos, a pod with Matt Ford. I, I had nice, I don't know whether you caught it, I had a nice chat with George Baker from FC United, just an update on where they're going. Yeah. Obviously that, that didn't feel like too much doom. But I thought we could talk transfers and be, we don't do a, top, a lot of gossipy crap on, on, on this particular pod, but why not? So let's dive into it. I mean, United have signed zero players so far. So there you go, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. No, but there's, 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 spe- I mean, we've had some outgoings. We've seen Zidane Iqbal move to FC Utrecht for about a million euros. I don't know what, what did you make of that one? As much as I did the James Garner transfer, I mean, you can talk about the fee, but that's one thing, and it's always reassuring. It does feel low, but yeah. yeah, reassuring though, in a world of ever adjusting variables that. United remain poor sellers of their junior players. We're creating the value in the market. That's what's happening. Historically, though, um, I will say, and I'm not saying that this is justification because I would have expected a little bit more for Zidane than, than what we got. But United, the, the principle behind doing that is that they reward the, the youngsters because the, the youngsters at United... Give them a career, yeah. Yeah, they're generally a lower paid, first of all, than the first team players, but second of all, than the, the players who come in now that's not the case obviously when you get into become a f- established first team player but at a junior level that's what's always historically tended to be the case so it's kind of mm-hmm. like a reward you're not gonna we're not gonna send any way we're not gonna restrict you from finding a club we're gonna, gonna help you find the best club and help you make that move as smoothly as possible the the case with James Garner last year similar to Zidane you would have thought that I, I know he's still a young lad now you break into the first team, or, or you break into that setup a little bit earlier than what he would that he, than he's done. He hasn't yeah. really made that impression, unfortunately for him. And it's a very competitive area. He hasn't had enough games so far to say you would make him a first team regular to sort of stand in for any of the players next season. Sure, yeah. And United's need yeah, is yeah. pressing, so um, yeah, all right. Yeah, you, yeah. you can you can squabble over the fee, but I think it's the right move. And really, in terms well, of the fee, I, I'm not. I'm not complaining that much. It's probably reflective of the fact that he's had barely any first team minutes anywhere, yeah. and 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 probably, I, I, and you'd have to ask him and the club why they were thinking this way. Probably, if he'd got a loan move to a championship club, had a decent amount of games, then he'd be looking at a fee that was closer to James Garner's because James Garner really hadn't played many Premier League minutes either. But he had a full yeah. season in the Championship with Forest, and that's what got it up to like 15 million or yeah. whatever. So. So it's probably reflective of the market. One thing I'd say is that selling to a mid-ranking Dutch club is almost never very high sales fees from yeah. mid-ranking Dutch clubs onwards. So the 
sell-on clause that United have got in there probably won't be worth very much. But it might just be reflective of there just wasn't much of a market for him. I mean, he looked good at reserve level, but yeah. the leap from reserve to first team is obviously massive. So good luck to him anyway. I know Adam McCola at uh, Stratford Paddock has said this a few times, but him being the first British Asian to play for Manchester United did mean a lot to a lot yeah. of people. And so he's made his mark, even if it wasn't on the first team. Yeah, and I, like, by the way, I think I, I, well, I like to think that United don't do things like. I, so there was a while, there was a little trend at the start of the 21st century. There are people listening to this who might not even have been born then. But there was a little trend <laughs> when. The children. Um, when Nelson Wenger was bringing through young players and playing them in the calling cup or whatever it was at the time and it, it very much felt like a token kind of thing to keep up with Jones's like oh I'm going to throw in a kid who he's got no chance of really making it but he's going to be the youngest player for this season or whatever I don't think that United do that with the kids maybe Mourinho did once or twice but as a trend United definitely don't I don't think that there was a gimmick to bring him in for that reason Zidane but I do think yeah he's made an historic contribution in that sense and history would sort of suggest that just because you're the first doesn't mean you're going to play 100 first-team games for United. It's still extremely difficult, but he's made his mark and there will be more to follow. And yep. you know, like well, you good said, luck very good luck to him, yeah. Yeah. All right. Nothing on the incomings, but it seems like the closest one is Mason Mount, if you believe the reporting. I think both Dunstein and Romano have been talking about the negotiations over the fee. I do wonder how the the takeover and the very slow process that is happening there is impacting not necessarily the budget, because I don't think that really changes much with a takeover, but just a sign-off. It's pretty slow at United anyway. Yeah. Joel Glazer and co. having to say yes on everything. And I, I wonder if that's impacting United's ability to go, just go hit go on this one. I'm speculating there, but... Seems like they'll come down to somewhere in the 50s for the fee, which feels like a hell of a lot for a squad player. Or maybe it's just reflected of a, he's an international yeah. at a club with lots of money. He's a good player. It's not going to transform United, is he? But I don't know. Seems like it'd be coming in. How do, you, how do you feel about that one? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it it's interesting you say squad player and like he's got a year left on his deal. It does remind me in that regard of Ashley Young signing. I remember he signed and it was about 18, 19 million and thinking, God, that's a lot of money for someone who's out of contract in a year. But he was a player that Ferguson wanted and it, he obviously gave great service and you would probably say mm-hmm. the, the fee, even taken into account he had a year left on his contract. I don't think anyone's saying it was shortchanged with Ashley Young. Obviously, they're very different players, and that's where the comparison ends. And like you said, but to be fair, Young was probably a squad player as well. There were other players in in the the pecking order, like Nanny and, and still Giggs at that time. So Mount, yeah, is probably in a, a similar kind of position in that regard. And I like him. I think he's a tidy player. I don't think he's he's not as good as Ericsson's highest level was. I think that's fair. He gives you the legs that Ericsson doesn't currently have. Is, is he, yeah. Does he have the brains Ericsson has currently? No, probably. But but Ericsson, in terms of isolation from a football ability point of view, Ericsson has few peers. He's magnificent in that regard. So I'm not going to discredit Mount for that. He's very good at the linking kind of play. And, and really, most importantly, and it's going to be the thing that I generally come back to with any transfer, is that he's obviously, he's obviously a player that Tenor wants. And yeah. for that reason... 
yeah, maybe the fees on the high side and when I think more in not to do with the player, but more in relation to the overall budget and where the other necessities are. But you couldn't say that we don't need another midfielder. We like, definitely we, do. The, the, one of the very frequent comments that we've had, certainly when you and I have been talking, is you've often referred to Ericsson burning out and, and whether it's better to start in, in certain games or bring him off the bench and where United have suffered because of that. Mount alleviates mm. that to to a great extent, really. But mm-hmm. you, you, then the second... of energy, yeah. great presser. Uh, he's had one really good season from a production point of view in his career. Mount, that was not the season just finished, but the one before that, where it was double figures, goals, and and assists. And so I don't know whether that is his level or that was a freak. Mm. It's really hard to say. And without that, he looks like a high energy player that does great defensive work and is a bit mediocre on the creative side with the goals and assists if he can produce that again then then he, he'll be a very good player for you nice he certainly i don't think he'll let anyone down he's like a seven out of ten every week player yeah. isn't he maybe maybe not the season just gone and it was disappointing and there are a few chelsea fans grumbling i see online i don't know how reflective that is of of the plastic flag waving match going crowd but uh, but yeah, not not a great season for him. Also disrupted by injury. But managers, lots of managers have really liked him because he is that kind of manager's manager player where you yeah. know you're going to get consistency from him. You know you're going to. He's intelligent. He's going to follow instructions. He will lead from the. He will lead the press from the front. Yeah, with Bruno. That that will make a big difference. I think in terms of United's ball recovery and the attacking third. So I don't know if if this was thirty million, you'd go yeah, of course. No, yeah, I think that's, um, a, that's a really good point to make. And the other thing is so, not just Mount himself and Ericsson, because that's the obvious comparison. It's the, let's presume, for the sake of argument, that Sancho's going to stay. One thing we can say about Ten Hag is that he got a tune out of Rashford after he had a season like Sancho's just, just had. Mount, yeah. um, the running, the off-the-ball running that he does, the movement that he's got there could create a lot of space for Sancho because we know the kind of player that Sancho is. And we know, everyone knows the kind of player that he is. We know the issues that we've yeah. got with that. But Mount could provide a different dimension to that and help him. So there are all other effects that obviously Ten Hag will be thinking about. I do think, yeah, like you said, I, I think that the nail on the head is what you've just hit there is that he's a very smart signing. And if it's £30 million, not that we're in any control of the fee, but if it was £30, you'd be going, oh, yeah, all right, at 50, you're thinking, oh, it seems a, a little bit too steep. It's not my money yeah. or your money, the, the, but it does have downstream effects, doesn't it? Because you actually have a limited, as we've seen, like yeah. you, you pay a lot of money. There's there's an impact on your your ability to spend later. And United paying a hundred million for Anthony at the end of the transfer window last summer meant that we signed about bank cost in the winter, basically. Yeah. So will will it impact? Yeah, well, yeah, it will because United it depends on how much United spend on a striker and and whether we need any more players after that. Of course. So anyway, I think probably in a year's time we'll go. Hey, Matt was a decent addition. I, um, yeah, I think there's definitely. another point of this is that they've gone all in on Mount early on, and there are a number of players who are available. And he wants to come. Yeah. So, but you, you look at all the other players who are theoretically available on the market. Let, let's say Harry Kane theoretically, because I don't think Spurs would be completely unwilling if if an astronomical number comes in and it doesn't matter what that number is for the time being for the point i'm making it could be 150 million pound 
but I'm talking about him. Declan Rice is obviously another one. Timber, I know that realistically we signed Martinez because Timber and the, the offers got rejected for him and Caicedo of Brighton. And there are a couple of other players there as well who were sort of moving around and people are wondering why aren't United in for, for that, this or that player. I am i don't normally, and I'm not really unduly bothered about this, I'm sorry if I've gone on a massive tangent, but I think you, we were probably leading into this overall point anyway. I'm not that bothered about the transfer window only being open like less than a week because these United did the best deal in the last couple of weeks of the window last time around with Casemiro. Mm. However much they were pushed into that, it still happened. What I'm saying is Casemiro wasn't a player at the start of the window that you would have said, oh, we're going to go in for him, or you wouldn't have even considered that he was available. This time around, there are no. a lot of big names available, and Arsenal in particular are look, looking, for whatever reason, probably because both because United are in the limbo position that they're in at the moment, and they want to be able to make sure that they're capitalizing on the players that are available i wonder yeah from that so that, that's my my only concern is that united have gone heavy on mount and they've put a lot of money for mount on the table when you wonder if maybe it would have been better playing a little bit of poker for a couple of weeks because i don't think there's a massive mm. list to take us out for mount i think that one could have waited until the end of the window i think it might mm. have been better playing a bit of poker with the transfer market knowing that the the, the takeover is still dragging on a little bit and maybe you might have one or two agents. And this might happen anyway. One or two agents out there looking at United, looking at the, the takeover. I'm, I'm thinking particularly of Dec- Declan Rice and I'm wondering if it's worth waiting that extra few weeks rather than saying, oh, we'll, we'll definitely sign for Arsenal because United, for, for whatever faults they've got, the global profile of the club is still astronomical. With all due yeah, respect yeah. to Rice, he might want to go to Arsenal at this moment in time but I and he definitely transform Arsenal. He make Arsenal into a miles better club. But in terms of yeah, yeah. what what he would get from it, I think maybe there are there might be a few agents out there thinking it might be better off yeah. just waiting two or three weeks. But that's where I think maybe United have not done themselves any favors by saying, "Oh, we'll just yeah. hold in for Mount because we know." No, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting argument. I, a little birdie told me that United were actually serious players in the in the Rice transfer. I don't know whether that's true. Or not, but but it, it's what what dropped into my inbox. Maybe, like the budget for United and and how much it really is. It's so dependent on a few things. It's the moving target. It's not just this year. I think people just think about it as a one year, but it's a three year rolling window and the sliding scale. So they've got to balance all these things up. How much they can actually put in the accounts for capital costs because you take it off. How much are you going to put in your cats for the women's team? We can talk about that. Not very much. It's sadly the case there. And what your plan is over the next, well, two years, let's say, as well. And so there's quite, and, and then what your sales are going to be. And there's quite a lot of flexibility when you take all those things into account. So it may be 100 million, but it could be an awful lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, w- one question is like, you know, actually have the cash, not really, but they do have a lot of borrowings available. And the other is like how how much they want to spend now versus next year versus how much they can sell as well. And and so all those things come into play with like the kinds of deals you could do. Yeah. So United could still play at the top of this market. I think there w- there would be some downstream effects of that. But anyway, 
the the right thing it seems like it's done to Arsenal, but I I, I think you're right. If United really wanted to play there, they, they certainly could. Yeah. And and normally, not always historically, but normally if United say, hey, we want the player, the player comes to United. I think, I think um, also United do have a little bit of leverage. I think there, there are a couple of players that you know. I, I look at where West Ham would take that 90 million and what it would mean for them, where theoretically speaking, 50 million and Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay might be better. So they might be spending that money anyway. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those would be two very good players for for, uh, David Moyes and West Ham, you could imagine. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think it's a, you could sell that to those two players as well. I think that West Ham have just won a European trophy. They're on the up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's not not West Ham in peril. Um, And David Moyes with a, a decent reputation at the moment, despite the stick that we were giving him at one point. What you, not me, I wouldn't ever do that. Oh, you love him. Um, you love him, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was Moyes out before he was even in. So, <laughs> yeah, so their stock's quite high. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, like the agencies of, of Maguire and McTominay, because they would become staples at, at those those clubs and a club like West Ham. So I don't think that that's a bad proposal. And I don't think it's West Ham are quite willing sellers of Rice at this point. They don't want to be ripped off, but I think considering the turnover and money and where they where they're going to spend that money, I don't think something like that would be a bad proposal. But United have sort of tied their hands, their own hands somewhat by sort of putting all this cash on offer for for Mount from the start, which seems a little bit unnecessary as well. Yeah. Well, okay, going around the Premier League, some other interesting stuff happening. City haven't really done anything yet. We we know their transfer department really doesn't function. They never get these deals right, so mm. screw City. Anyway, they've lost the LK Gundogan. Uh, good riddance, oh. <laughs> I say. And that one, I never want to see him again. He's gone to Barcelona. Yeah. What's the betting that we draw Barcelona in the Champions League and he sticks one in the top corner after 12 seconds? <laughs> Eleven, yeah, eleven. Uh, oh, yeah, um, it probably will. Yeah, I, I, I did see. I, I can't remember the player, but they were talking City had done a. They were in for someone earlier, a big name. Uh, well, they, it looks like they've been trying to sign both Kovacic from Chelsea and Vardiol from RB Leipzig. That, that's the one I was thinking of, the defender for the Croatian defender. That's a very smart signing. He's very, very good, and he's obviously going to be. But he, he probably is already going by showings in the World Cup, like one of the best young defenders in the world. Um, yeah, yeah. Elsewhere, I mean, what I've always said this about, I mean, that 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 one Vardiol is a, a signing that will improve. Them. There aren't many that can improve them because it's just a peerless squad. So it's not about it's not about head to head. You hope that you, you've got a chance head to head, but it's about in the other games. Like I always say that it's the other transfers, isn't it? That I'm not sure we're going to get much more entertainment now of like the the Chelsea merry-go-round, which. Seems completely Incredible legitimate. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so look, looks like Kovacic is definitely going from Chelsea. Mount uh, will be leaving as well, undoubtedly. Havertz, uh, Havertz off to Arsenal, which is an interesting one because I can I, I kind of really liked him as a player in in Germany, and he's just like a really elegant player, and it's just not worked out for him at Chelsea because he seems to be playing in the wrong position all the time. He's either, he started off playing on the right side of the front three and then ended up as a false nine, and yeah. neither of which seemed to really suit him. And he, he looks like a kind of natural number 10 to me, uh, like a Berbatov without the goals sort of thing. Yeah. And, and and looks to me that he, like he'd be right in Odegaard's zone all of the time. So I don't really understand it, but 
you know, clearly Arteta's playing some three-dimensional chess here and, and knows what he wants out of this one, especially when you can spend that much money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're... Chelsea is certainly moving a lot of players, and there seems to be a lot of interest in him for a lot of money. Which I mean, you know, United, yeah, yeah. United could have done with those connections for Zidane Iqbal. But yeah, it's the good thing is that you know all these players like Koulibaly, and you might say their reputation has suffered quite badly because of a poor season in the Premier League. But apparently yeah, not yeah. because their yeah. their fees are remarkably high, and um, it's, it's really it's, it's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, like. There's all this conspiracy stuff online saying, well, oh. major investor in Clear Lake Capital, who are the majority owners at Chelsea, is the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. All these conspiracy theories suggesting that these things were linked and like we couldn't possibly say that way. No. It would just be terrible, terrible slander. And so we definitely wouldn't say that. I just... Uh, I, although at a, at, a, at a minimum, sorry, <laughs> at a minimum, you could say that there are relationships there that are established that may have been helpful. No, I think that even that's a stretch because I, I just think like these are very good players and and the time is right for all of them, all of these Chelsea players, all of the Chelsea players, a time when they desperately need help in adhering to financial regulations that it's just really helpful for them that there's the benevolence of the Saudi league and, and all their players like have still got such high value and they're in such demand. We... It's, it's very special. No, it is. It, yeah. and it wouldn't... Todd, Todd Bowley has reinvented football. First, he invented amortizing a player contract over eight years. Yep. Now he's inventing uh, having capital injection from the state of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, look, I, all seriousness. Great stuff. Um, I, I don't have to say that I'm any great lover of Chelsea. I've got a couple of friends who are Chelsea fans, and I do. It's unfortunate. I, yeah, well, they're, they're nice. They're nice guys, and Chelsea, regardless of what happened since two thousand and three, they still have a cosmopolitan tradition. They had that anyway, like going back the post Bosman sort of ninety six to two thousand three. Whether you like it or not, they were the real cosmopolitan team. They went in. Yeah, they yeah. went in yeah. all all in on that, and it was good for some for some elements of it. You know, they got Viale Zola. Brilliant to watch some of those players in the league. Going back, they 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 have got a long history. They they in the fifties and sixties they brought through a team of young players under Tommy Docker. He nearly won a league title with them. So they've got. Mm. A, they, I'm not one of those who will say Chelsea don't have a long history. They do. They've reinvented it once or twice as well, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you and I are old enough to remember Arsenal as the boring George Graham hands in there, and they're completely transformed identity of a football club these days so I, I what i'm trying to say is i genuinely feel something for a genuine football fan who's having to watch what's happened at chelsea and you've got all these sort of crime all people online because you know what's happening with chelsea posing the the dastardly conspiracy theories like like we just joked about there which couldn't possibly be true but you have the real fans who will have seen more than half a billion spent on all of these players that are flattered to deceive, and then half of them being shipped out. Some of them are with, with the Champions League winning squad of all are all going in in odd circumstances, and it wouldn't be a club that I would enjoy supporting because it does it seems like an absolute mess, and there's no there is no amount of high money transfers or turnover of players, which you cannot 
establish any kind of connection with the team when all the players are A, moving for, to your club for shed loads of money and within the space of 12 months moving somewhere else for shed loads of money and you can't even pretend that there's a connection there. That's not what football is meant to be about and someone needs no. to pull him aside. I'm talking seriously at a higher level in the Premier League because I don't know what's happening in a Premier League level that they're happen- they're allowing ownership things to happen in like when they're talking about regovernance and everything like that to allow what's happening at certain football clubs to happen the way that it has been this summer someone at the Premier League needs to have a proper shake up and talk to some of these owners they're not they're not a governing body they're not a regulator so they're not going to do that the 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 standard of the Premier League since 1992 is laissez-faire. If you bring the money, you're okay. Owners and directors test basically says, are you a criminal? Have you been a criminal? No? Okay, good. Can you show me the money? Like proof of funds? Yeah, here's the money. Doesn't matter where it comes from. And 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 now the, the new test is, are you on the sanctions list? And sanctions list is a political list that reflects the, the UK government's political foreign policy. Right? It's not a you're a bad guy or you're not a bad guy. We like lots of bad guys in the UK. And those are the only tests from the Premier League. The, the FA is a failed state as a regulator, just hasn't done it. And that's why a government that only believes in laissez-faire capitalist markets is regulating. I mean, you really had to fuck up badly to get a Tory government regulating you. That's how badly it's been mismanaged as yeah. an industry. I, 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 and yeah, so I agree with you. It's it's It's, you know, it's not just... Obviously, Chelsea's it's, it's bizarre, the management there, but we've hinted at what's happening with the Saudi Arabia Pro League. That's up to them, but it's having a distinct impact on the Premier League. And there's some stuff that looks really quite nefarious. I mean, we were joking about we were joking about Chelsea and their relationships, but it is a relationship. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's like that you can draw the, you can follow the money and say this was planned, but the even tighter relationship, of course, is with Newcastle, owned by PIF. PIF own four Saudi Pro League teams now. It's just been reorganized. There are four others that are owned by state-run businesses. PIF is the public investment fund owned by the state, chairman, Mohammed bin Salman. They're all the same entity, basically, although there's an interesting dynamic where they appear to be competing against themselves for players, hence the Ruben Neves transfer fee. Yeah, I was going to mention this. This is... Yeah, yeah. yeah. This... So, I, and, and then there was a report this morning, and I don't know how true it is, but absolutely mad if it happens, that he might just be loaned straight back to Newcastle. Yeah. It's the, I mean, it takes something... I know, everything's got to be the thing, so there will always be something that is the most bonkers thing that happens in, in the window. That, as... Can you remember Robert Yarney, the the guy who signed for Coventry from, I think it was Real Is, Betis. Was he a left back? Yeah, or... and he signed yeah. for, he played for Real Betis. I'm pretty sure it was Betis. And they refused to sell him to Real Madrid in, I think it was like 96 or 97. And they just, they tried to play ball also and it wasn't happening. So Coventry bought Robert Yarney. And a week later, he went to Real Madrid without even kicking a ball for them. Yeah. And well, all right. I mean that that was obvious. <laughs> and, and and yeah, all right, this is obvious. But that was I don't didn't, know what happened with the United player who went to Belgium and then to Spurs after United refused to sell him to Spurs. 
I remember there was well, there was Mikkel. The I think they might be in a Spurs one, but there were a couple. No, of... there was a. I think it, the the one with Mikkel was interesting because I actually spoke to his agent years and years back, and so he was going to come to United. Even held the shirt up, ended up at Chelsea, and there was lots of stuff going around about he'd been kidnapped and forced into. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So on and so on. So I remember that one. Yeah, his agent. Well, he had two agents, the FIFA official recognised agent and the real agent, <laughs> which is some really, I'm not sure about the kidnapping stuff, but there was some really odd yeah. stuff. And and uh, one of the directors got uh, sanctioned in some way for at, at uh, what was the club, Norwegian club, for some nefarious use of money. Money was going in a funny direction. Yeah. Anyway, but, whatever, long story there. But yeah, a few of these things that happened. But the, the Ruben Nevis thing is just... This is what I'm talking about, where the because it's been a force of like the the first window, the first week of the window has been an absolute force, and I might might be better off saying United are much better off out of it at the moment, considering the way that it's going. The the governing bodies that anyone who considers themselves a governing body with any kind of reputation in in British football, allowing this kind of stuff to happen is nonsensical. They're making a mockery of themselves and the competition because because you've seen it creeping into Newcastle and Newcastle are going to be the same. They're going to be like, oh, cry more. We've just signed all these players and blah, blah, blah. But it, you'll say the horse has bolted on this. I know that you will send them away coming from. I feel more and more. I, You know, like I'm a bit of a romantic. I still, even if you could tell me last year and I would have believed it, the soul's been ripped out of football then. A new day comes along. I don't say the soul's back in football. I love the soul of football and everything. And I want to believe in that. But then when you see the things that have happened over the last kind of week, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not talking about my football club here. I'm talking about the other football clubs that you've seen this stuff happen. Sure, at, yeah. and, and feeling genuine compassion for the actual supporters of those football clubs who understand that this kind of behaviour is, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. feel right to those football fans, those are the ones that I feel sorry for because there is no player who of the Chelsea players over the last year have been brought in or or shipped out. N'Golo Kante has probably got some kind of affection within the Chelsea support because of Oh sure, uh, sure because sure, of yeah. who he is, a really yeah. likable guy and everything. But who else? And he's been offered an absolutely massive contract, and you know, it may be, yeah. it may be blood money, but and he's, man, and he's he's now hundred million euros, right? And he's right at the end, and he's he's contributed a, an immense amount to British football. Now you've got other players who are effectively they're being player trafficked through through the British game, and I mean, it's happening to to your football clubs, and you're watching them play and. There's obviously there'll be disillusionment and there'll be some kind of resignment uh, resigning from from the supporters of that, and yeah, it might be happening to every club more frequently. I just feel like it's been a bonkers start to the transfer window. I feel sorry for for the supporters of these clubs, who the the genuine ones who do see what's happening, and I, I wonder. I do have a wonder because I don't see, I from a competitive point of view. I don't see being a, that big of a problem with Chelsea because as long as they continue to be so horrendously run, that's one less big club to worry about, especially considering the financial power that they've got behind them, considering yeah. where United yeah, yeah. need to get to. So from a competitive point of view, let it happen. I'm not that bothered. I just think from, I like to think that I am more of a purist with that. And even if it, it does mean competition and, and stuff like that, I still want to see 
mm. football clubs properly run and yeah, all right, we can have a laugh about it because it is something to laugh about really, but on on a deeper basis, I do feel a bit sorry for him. It does depend on a little bit with Chelsea, what Pochettino this is this is like more narrowly focus point around the, the actual team, what Pochettino wants. So if he's signing off on somebody's playing as being sold and deciding which ones he wants and which ones he doesn't. If he doesn't want Kovacevic and Koulibaly, but does want Caicedo and like some of the younger players there, uh, and he that's what he wants and he feels like that fits the way he wants to play, you trust Pochettino to create a good side. He's he's yeah. going to do that in, in the end. If, they, if it's the right balance of players and he does you know, want them to play in a specific way with his team, and if he gets that, then then I'd be worried about the competitiveness. It might not be next year with all the turnover. The, the wider point about like the the impact of state money and the and then the impact of both state money in the Premier League and then outside the Saudi Pro League. They're, they're two slightly different things, aren't they? The 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 the, the state-run clubs, Abu Dhabi with City, uh, Paris Saint Germain and maybe United with Qatar uh, and now Saudi with Newcastle. That is, that is quote unquote, sport washing, soft power to hard power. Uh, they uh, co-opting of institutions that we've talked about widely. There's one goal there. The Saudi Pro League is an internally facing thing that says, hey, this is an exciting destination for entertainment, sport and tourism. It's part of the strategy of the government for mostly internally facing political reasons for a very young, very young football mad, passionate Saudi population. And and so there's slightly different things, but they're both having an impact on on the, the Premier League and the dynamics in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 could ha- and and then when you add on top the links between all of them, as I said, four PIF owned clubs, four state run clubs, so eight in total in the Saudi League all of which have been directed from the top, even if they have separate management, it has the potential for, for real impact, not yeah. only on the money flowing into the Premier League for the players that leave, but but on the role of Newcastle here. But the, the other clubs, I, we, I know we've got really... We were joking at the start of this, and I know you said before we came on air that you wanted it to be more light-hearted. The, the, there's a drip-feed consequence of this around football, especially in England, is that it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? So Everton are a prime example of, all right, maybe not the best example, but a prime example, case in point in this, that they've spent a lot of money. Yeah, all right, they they were did have some kind of bankroll, but not in the same league as the other clubs that we're talking about. But other clubs do this. They keep they spend to keep up and they spend beyond their means to try and deal with it. And that's why... It, we saw it at the start of the century with the ITV Digital and everything like that. And Leeds were Leeds were a great example under Ridsdale. And we all laughed at how we signed. He's in the dream, yeah. Yeah, and and you're going to find that with other clubs. And the reason why it's not fair in this particular case is like the likes of Chelsea can turn over money or or City. Like everyone remembers Guardiola's second summer where he just he couldn't teach the goalkeeper and fullbacks to do what he wanted to do, so he just went out and bought the best in the business and then was credited with their improvement. But they could turn over players like that on an, on an unrealistic scale. Chelsea can turn over a half a billion pound squad in the space of 13 months at an unrealistic scale. And other fans of other clubs, other fans put pressure on their clubs to spend this kind of unrealistic scale. Other directors of or other owners see this happening and think 
maybe they don't have enough knowledge of the game. Maybe they don't have enough experience of running a football yeah. club. They see it and they think that that's the way to do it. And it leads yeah. with institutions, and I'm, I'm using that word deliberately, institutions of the British game at genuine turmoil at the risk of people who don't know what they're doing. And, uh, yeah, I'm not talking about Manchester United. I'm talking about every other club in the league. And yeah, I wanna, yeah, the reason yeah, why yeah. I want to stress that a lot is because we have these arguments, and we've, we've talked about this over a year with the over over the years with the debt that's leveraged on the club. And you and I and hundreds of other United fans have talked about that. And we've talked about the drip feed effect that that has on United. Turn the mirror back on the British game for a second and take objectivity, subjectivity out of the window. Let's take our own bias out of it and look at the rest of the game and say, no, look, for these other clubs, it's not fair. We've seen it happen to too many clubs. A lot of them actually out of business now through this kind of small scale Smaller scale than this kind of greed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at no. What, I, yeah. I, I get your point. It's um, the Premier League as a whole is value destroying, right? So, as in, you if you put that money into some other investment, you'd make money. In the Premier League, you don't. Even if a couple of them look like they're profitable, they're not. When you think about yeah, what you could do with that money, the opportunity cost of it. So, right, value destroying. And the more that we get these distorting effects of either private equity capital or particularly state capital, the more others will be forced to chase the dream. And some of them will do it very badly. Everton spent a hell of a lot of money. Fahad Mashiri is going to lose £500 million on his investment in Everton because they spent really, really badly, both on wages and and the very high payers and transfer fees. And there are other clubs. I saw Aston Villa fans this morning moaning that they haven't spent enough yet. You know, and you think they're in the relegation. They have got very ambitious owners, but they're in the relegation zone. Emery took over and took them up the table. So they want to break into that now, what, top seven, can we call it? And they have that ambition. We saw, and and actually, if you look down the list of, of clubs in the Premier League that are just outside the top, like most of them are throwing bonkers money around, mm-hmm. right? Brentford and, and Brighton being the exceptions who are very, very data-driven and trying to be sensible. And it looks like Brighton are going to sell Casado and they almost certainly have some kid from Ecuador, Paraguay or or wherever lined up that we've absolutely never heard of and it will turn out to be brilliant yeah. <laughs> coming into that role because that's what they do, right? They, they are the two exceptions. Forrest were a whisker away from getting relegated after spending well over £100 million on transfers last summer that they couldn't really afford. They were gambling that they could do it. You yeah. know, if they'd gone down, man, they were in some trouble. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, so, the two clubs you mentioned, Brentford and Brighton, would fe- feature very highly. They might might even be the top two. If you would say were the best two well-run clubs in the Premier League, I think most people yeah. would they definitely say Brighton. Whether or not, because a lot of people do go along with saying City these days because of how, oh, pardon the pun, well oiled that machine is. <laughs> no, but yeah, most people will include them in in that category these days. But I would say Brighton and Brentford are probably um, yeah very high on that list. Like but, said, but even those two took external capital to get them to that position, even yeah. if they use that money very sensibly, betting. I mean, they're both in betting, right? The, the Tony Bloom at Brighton, and I yeah. forget the chap's name at Brentford now. But so very data-driven because the owners are very data-driven. 
but it took a lot of money to get them to that position. Yeah. And they got there and they're, they're using it very sensibly. Yeah. So the, the rest of the Premier League, yes, they, almost certainly there will be teams trying to catch up, trying to chase it, who won't be able to, won't be able to do it and will 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 make a mess of it. So, and that is the impact of, of all the outside capital. I think half the Premier League is now owned by US investors. And maybe one will switch this summer with the United. Maybe, if that ever happens. Like, who yeah. knows? Uh, yeah. News just around the corner, uh, like there always is. Oh, yeah. I mean, didn't you, it wasn't it hilarious last week when Reuters dropped that report, which I have to say for them, normally very, very well sourced. And I'm not just saying that because they uh, interviewed me this summer, because obviously that was the best source they could have. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, right? I agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. I even went on the record, unlike their uh, sourcing for their recent piece on the on the the potential for Qatar, the Qatari bid being being put in put, named as preferred bidder, right? So that 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 dropped when near over a week ago now. That piece yeah. from Reuters. We haven't had an update since. There was a piece in Nice Matin yesterday, which is the local paper in Nice, but it was really a regurgitation of all of that. Yeah saying that Ineos had lost their confidence that it was going to happen. I, I actually think that wording was quite misleading. I haven't read it. I have to say my French is a little rustier than it used to be, but I can read it better than I can speak it. So anyway, I didn't think that gave us anything new there. But it is moving at an incredible glacial speed. I, I'm not, I think glaciers melt quicker than this, to be honest. <laughs> the ship canal will have flooded Old Trafford before because of global warming. Caused by Ineos, of course. <laughs> um, well, before uh, before we get the conclusion to this process, one thing when we do get the conclusion is that the the damn typos and mispronunciations. Glaciers been one, glaciers has been another. So the windows will yeah, be yeah. out, the the icebergs will be out, and yeah, we can move forward. Some other snow, some other slow like snail pace speed. That um, I'm sure we can find puns from whoever takes us over. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think for, I said this last time, so it still stands true now, and I'm sure it echoes everything that's been said on the the new, by the way, the numerous podcasts that you've done lately, you've worked incredibly hard to keep fans informed, and you do it in a way that has been objective, and you've allowed people to sort of make their own minds up with a lot. Oh, yeah, or of course, you always put your own opinion there, but you've provided a lot of information there. So, and you work really hard on doing that over these two two weeks since United last kicked the ball. So, hats off to you for doing that. I'd give the Ineos and the Qatari side a chance to say something, but they won't. Well, you've still done as much as anyone could reasonably be expected to in, in a time when everyone's putting their feet up. So, well done to you for that. And hope for your sake that something concludes soon just so you can have a rest of it all. But yeah, I like I said, like, I have been saying it for a long time that it's in everyone's best interests, perhaps maybe one party, to get this wrapped up as soon as possible, especially the football club, because as you, as, as we said right at the top, the the moving pieces that are other people's transfer plans and the desires of players, they can wait for only so long. Yes, all right, we're only a few days into the transfer market, but everyone is watching United intently to see what they're going to do. But if it's going to yeah. be a case of, them getting restless and United are, are putting themselves at risk. 
Yeah. hundred percent you know you'll miss out on players because because this process is is going slowly. If I was Ten Hag right now, I'd be absolutely fuming. And and there's been noises suggesting that much may be true. I do not know anything about that. I'm not suggesting I do know anything about it, but if I was him, I, I'm thinking what's the best thing possible is to get everything wrapped up as soon as possible so I can have them on my preseason store and start working with them. That's the manager's point of view. Of course, the club's point of view, it's a, it is a strategy game in the transfer market. And, and when you do this, whether it's early or late, actually, you can get deals done that way by waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes it's better to do them early, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying uh, United would have wrapped up six deals already by now if the, if the, if the takeover had been concluded. But there will have been deals that United wanted to do and can't do because not because the money isn't there because in a sense the budget is is kind of set but because the sign-off won't happen because the club could be sold right and you're going to sell the club you don't want to change your debt profile as you're selling the club and I, I think that is probably more likely to be the, the challenge and if I was Den Hag I'd be absolutely fuming about that and he's a man who will be in demand yeah. you know Real Madrid job is coming up a year from now we don't know what, how Tuchel and Bayern will fit together. Right? There will be opportunities elsewhere. I'm not saying he's going to walk away at all, but you know he's he is a man in demand. And if if United fuck him around like they fucked around with every other manager over the last 18 years, including Fergie, then well, yeah, why wouldn't you think of something else? Let's hope. That that's not the case moving forward. Let's hope that's not the case because it's the he's the smartest football decision this club has made yeah. in years yeah. and years and years. For sure. So. All right. I I think that was a sort of upbeat pod. <laughs> we did get into geopolitics. We can't avoid it these days. I, we were saying before we came on air, I'd just like to talk about the football. Yeah, we did. Honestly, I don't want to talk about I just want to talk about the football. I want to talk about United spanking City and Liverpool. Very, uh, yeah, talk about this quite nonsense. difficult to do that on, on a pre-season pod. That was very optimistic if you thought we were going to avoid that talk. But I, I'm, yeah, I'm here for your optimism. I just, Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. Just yeah. That's, that's what people say about me, most of all, on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> that and a few other things. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Really appreciate it. We'll catch you all soon.